Welcome back to Beer Time with Books Season 2. Season 2. Season 2. Now that that is <laughs> cleared up by everybody involved. Welcome back, guys. Thanks. I love that we have seasons. Seasons. I know. It's an it's an official thing now. We kept talking about season one. It can't be season one unless there is a season two. So, <laughs> now, so now that there is officially a season two. I feel better about that. That was a season, season one. <laughs> Good. Uh, it's been just a little bit in some of the gaps that we had in season one. This might have just been another episode down the line, but it's been about a month and a half, <laughs> I suppose. It was like end of December when we finished season one. Now we are mid-February, just missed a holiday, about to hit another one. We're sandwiched right between Valentine's Day and President's Day. So, An auspicious time. Very, yeah. <laughs> it's, it, you know, that, that thing that they talk about between uh, Christmas and New Year's where you don't know what's going on. I feel that <laughs> between Valentine's Day and President's Day. Just I like, felt that between New Year's and now. Without like, this podcast, I just didn't know what day it was. Just what time is it? What Are we supposed to love each other or the presidents? <laughs> Are we supposed to be patriotic? <laughs> Uh, it's but anyway. not even Washington's birthday, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, I know. This is like a classic Christmas situation. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it a is classic Christmas. Situation. It is the, the Christmas situation. It is the Christmas situation. <laughs> um, <laughs> we are super excited to be back. If this is anybody's first episode, we have already talked about what our first three books are going to be. For the podcast, so just in case that you hadn't listened to those previous episodes, which you definitely should, season one is a gem. I advise going back and listening to those <laughs> it, episodes. It's a gem, but we'll go through real quick. Uh, if you are wanting to get on board and do some homework before the next few episodes, uh, we'll just go around and talk about what each of the books were that we chose for season two. Uh, today's episode is the first part of my first choice. Uh, this is Brian. We'll just do those introductions now. This is Brian, and my first choice was As I Lay Dying by William Faulkner. And what beer are you drinking? Yeah, we'll go ahead and do that, too. <laughs> this is a, a classic corner here. What are you drinking? Uh, I have a Boulevard Unfiltered Wheat Beer right. and and had a new experience this morning. I talked about Tank 7 was one of my favorites from last season. I had a twist on that uh, during Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> this morning with a Tank 7 Mimosa, which mm-hmm. was quite an interesting experience. A beer experience. Mosa, yeah, if you will. A beer Mosa, if you will. It so, was only a month in between podcasts, but Jamie <laughs> and Brian have actually aged 100 years <laughs> and now got a Sunday morning bingo. Sunday we went morning to bingo. bingo. We didn't win anything. <laughs> so yeah, this is Brian, uh, As I Lay Dying by William Faulkner and Boulevard Wheat for the beer. Perfect. Uh, I'm Jamie. My choice that we will be reading next after we finish As I Lay Dying is Sing Unburied Sing by Jasmine Ward, um, which in some ways we've been told relates to As I Lay Dying. So we'll see if that's true. Yeah, that will be interesting to uh, <laughs> just have those back to back. Now getting more clear of a picture on what As I Lay Dying kind of looks like. Yeah. And I'm drinking Yoga Pants. Operation Yoga Pants, actually, excuse me. Oh. Um, that is a Martin City Brewing Co. gluten-free beer. Um, it's fine. <laughs> I don't think it'll be on my top my top beers for the end of the season. Hey, but it's early. You it never, is only we episode have one. Terrible beers moving forward. Cool. Um, this is Danny. I'm also drinking a Yoga Pants Martin City Brewing. Um, and my pick uh, is John Updike's Rabbit Run. Um, I don't know anything. I didn't know anything about John Updike. And then I started reading a little about him. And I'm excited <laughs> to read <laughs> this book. Uh, I, yeah, I'm intrigued. I, I bought another book of his at a, um, at a bookstore a few weeks ago called The Witches of Eastwick. <laughs> it's like a witchy like I, I don't even I don't even know I don't know what it's about. The book with witches in the title <clears throat> is a little witchy. It's pretty witchy, but also like there's more than a hint of misogyny in it, and so I'm I don't I don't know I'm intrigued. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Nice, and then uh, to lay out the rest of the season, it'll be a similar um, 
structure to season one where number four will kind of be a committee decision. We'll probably have a guest. I think we have that person lined up and we'll um, talk about that when we get a little bit closer, but that'll be one that we all choose. And then on the back half, uh, it'll be another similar situation where the three of us will again choose uh, a book each and that'll round out seven books for the season so we are in it for the long haul again we're going through this whole process and getting seven more books on the docket so uh strap in guys i'm strapped in <laughs> it's already done these I, seasons I am, will be mirroring the seasons of my life <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> until i die <laughs> so <laughs> season 50 <laughs> Another seven books. More bingo. We're really going to bingo <laughs> for real. Like measuring your life in seven books at a time. Um, <laughs> uh, another classic corner that we normally have. We'll try to keep this a little bit condensed just because there has been a bit of a gap. So maybe just keep it to like one or two significant things in the meantime. But uh, we usually talk about what other media we've been consuming. Uh, and so since the last episode, if you just want to... Uh, go through and just like I said, one or two things. Anybody want to start? I I can start. You can start. Anybody? I'll start. Okay. <laughs> um, I've been watching a lot of Bon Appetit test kitchen videos. I don't know if you guys are on this train. Bon Appetit. But I read a lot about them on Twitter. But for for a long time before I started watching, I didn't even know what it what people meant by test kitchen. And it's just it's not really like cooking how tos as it as much as it is like just like cute chefs professional chefs like fucking around in the kitchen (laughs) like in a fancy nice bon appetit kitchen on like uh, it's just great i love it i they're all there's a lot of chaotic energy and it's not organized and they don't really they don't always post their recipes at the end you kind of you have to like out of shame you have to (laughs) you have to like parse through them like uh like during the like during the during the episodes um but they had samin nasrat um, who wrote salt, fat, acid, heat um, on, and I made uh, the focaccia recipe from that, and that was really fun. Um, so I have been watching a lot of those, um, and I also started, oh no, Watchmen on HBO. Oh. Um, I'm like two or three episodes in. Hell yeah. So I'm so curious about that. That was on a previous of my videos on the YouTube channel that this podcast gets posted to that was one of my top books of the year when i read it and i know that this is after the fact yeah that's the i all jamie and i talked about this briefly i had i haven't read it Mm -hmm. and so i know that this is post the story of yeah yeah, the story of the book um and i mean i think that there are probably a few things that i'm missing i'm sure but i'm also i'm enjoying like reading uh watching it from uh you know like having no knowledge of the universe it's it's good it's a very like a lot and shocking <laughs> it is very a lot it is very a lot <laughs> and shocking and but i yeah i like it um yeah cool uh one of the significant things that i had watched and all three of us had really watched but something that i wanted to talk about is uh the good place ended and uh, that last episode, <laughs> yeah, these just all of us. Oh my god! Uh, that last episode of the Good Place, we're not going to spoil it for anybody, but it was one of the best series finales I've ever seen. And I, I said this to Jamie on like my analysis of it is that the Good Place I love as a show overall. Like it's a fantastic show. I wouldn't say in comparison to other shows I have watched that the episode to episode quality was like as consistent as some of my other favorite shows of all time. But that series finale was one of the best series finales I have ever seen, which raises the stock of that show for me tenfold because the subject matter that they're covering, this is some like serious philosophy (laughs) talking about afterlife uh, issues and theories and all these different things to wrap it up the way that they did is an incredible feat and jamie had specifically said like how did like a human being or how did human I, beings create this or it's so yeah, how perfect. is this not divinely inspired yeah. how did people who are living on this earth just think of that mm-hmm. how did they do it and make it good i don't I don't think that we are capable of making things that pure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's super good. 
Um, and then also just small plug because it's been an exciting thing. I had worked on the soundtrack of a documentary and Danny had done some violin parts for that as well. So it was a pretty significant project since the end of the last episode. Uh, it's Teenager for Governor of the Great State of Kansas. It's starting to get um, into some film festivals. So that's pretty cool. And it's been fun to watch that a couple of times and see it from the perspective, like remove from it now of like, I'm not working on it anymore. And so that's kind of a cool thing. And so maybe at some point when somebody listens to this episode, it'll be up somewhere. I don't know what the trajectory of that film is going <laughs> to be, but it would be cool if it was up somewhere publicly. So yeah, there's been a couple things since the last episode. It's been uh, pretty fun. All right. Um, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts as always, but especially recently I've been like binging shorter podcasts. Um, so <laughs> I what I listened to uh, Root of Evil, which is a true crime podcast that I really, really enjoyed. It's about the Black Dahlia murders. I just finished it. I just finished it like three hours ago. I told Danny to listen to it. <laughs> the chaos Good in timing. this podcast, friends. <laughs> the chaos is insane. <laughs> I was like, I was like running with this. I was like running and listening to the last episode. And I was just like, I need to sit down. Yeah, I can't. Oh, the last episode is stressful. Oh, it was very stressful. I was, like, trying to go on a nice <laughs> afternoon run, and I, it was very chaotic. Anyway. Um, but it's, it. it's about the Black Dahlia murders, which is a or murder, is a famous murder that happened in Los Angeles in, like, the 70s. I think I it think. was earlier than that. Was it earlier than that? Like 60s, the, the 50s? Four, I thought it was, like, the 40s. Oh, let me look it up. I don't know. I'll do a quick fact Um, check. But it was never solved, and this podcast <clears throat> essentially is being run by two sisters who believe that their grandfather was the one who committed the murder 1947 1947 I thought oh, it was the that's, I also thought it was the 70s until I looked it up earlier than I thought it was um but they think that their grandfather did it and they have like a lot of proof that their grandfather did it and their their uncle is a homicide detective coincidentally and there's like all this stuff but it's really interesting and genuinely very convincing. So that's a really good one. That's Root of Evil. And then I also um, have been listening to the second season of The Dream podcast, which the first season was about multi-level marketing schemes, pyramid schemes. Um, and I listened to that like a year ago and it was really good. The it's a pyramid opportunity. <laughs> it's not a It's scheme. a business endeavor, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. It's in the shape of a pyramid. How dare you? Um... The second season is about the wellness industry, which has been really interesting um, to listen to in our day and age, where I feel like I'm bombarded by wellness things all the time. And it um, feels like everyone is very unwell. Yes. <laughs> so that's been really interesting. She's talked a lot about especially how women are targeted by the wellness industry and about like alternative treatments and alternative like ways to deal with your pregnancy, which is just traumatic no, and no. not good so um no. i've really enjoyed both of those alternative <laughs> ways to deal with your pregnancy like not going to the hospital it and just sounds euphemistic like... for something very sinister <laughs> i know <laughs> i don't know um but it's it's good i like it so um that's what i've been listening to and whatever <laughs> <laughs> wow stuck the landing there <laughs> we haven't we haven't potted in a while, guys. <laughs> and whatever. And whatever. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, there were the classic corners of Beard Time with Books. And with those closing, that means we are opening the... I hate to use this again because I feel like I've said this in multiple times. The main meat of the episode. <laughs> yeah, no, I delete that. I'm please. gonna, I'm gonna find a new way to. You knew <laughs> that it was bad. Yeah, Why I did know. You, you looked us both in the face and said it anyway. <laughs> I know that I shouldn't, but here I go. <laughs> oh, God, how uh, dare you? <laughs> but this is the part of the episode that we get to the books that we have been reading. And for today's episode, as mentioned earlier, we are talking about As I Lay Dying by William Faulkner. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> the enthusiasm is palpable. You want to give us a quick synopsis, <laughs> absolutely, please? Absolutely. I'm, I'm demanding it, actually. I, so, I need <laughs> it. I actually need it. Yeah, this may be uh, the start of the discussion, the synopsis. <laughs> We're suddenly like, wait, what? Did that happen? <laughs> um, so, As I Lay Dying was published in 1930 just for um, some context as far as 
you know, the time period that we're operating in, I would assume that it's happening in a similar time period in the novel. This was actually Faulkner's fifth novel. Um, and I read something, I think this was on Wikipedia, but just a quote that it was, uh, Faulkner had said that he had written this novel in six weeks, only between midnight and 4 a.m., and reportedly didn't change a word. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> he just chaotically wrote it and then was like, send it off. <laughs> I'm done. It's ready. I'm done with this like forever. Like a drunken text. <laughs> yeah, I, that's good. He sent, and he wakes up. I sent that to the public. Yeah. <laughs> you oh, need to shit. tell me I did what? Well, I will also say, I didn't want to include this, but now that you've said that, oh. um, he he self-described this book as a tour de force. <laughs> so good for that him. That sounds like a way I would describe a drunk text at 1 a.m. <laughs> a tour de force. <laughs> um, so... <Man. laughs> So with all of that, um, I feel like this book does have a bit of a reputation and, you know, a lot of people. Could you explain what you mean by that? Well, I mean, I'm just curious, just as far as like Jamie had even mentioned this to coworkers uh, that we were reading this and we'll get into this after the summary. But like there was a lot of reactions (laughs) from them. The predominant thing being that they had said it was dense. Yeah, I mentioned it at lunch one day. A, a room full of English teachers also like that is my job everyone for those who don't listen to the pod often um and I said like oh yeah we're reading as I lay dying for my book club and everyone in the room just went oof <laughs> a collective oh. <laughs> all right yeah, so, so that's part of it and then also for the reputations like William Faulkner is a famous author and <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, he just like looked at me while he said that. Uh, Dan, you were wondering. <laughs> <Explain>. Listen. Explain it. <laughs> okay, square, square one. <laughs> I wanna. I just want a soundbite of Roll Ryan that. saying. <laughs> is a famous author. <laughs> well, to the point I was making is that William Faulkner is a famous author and this is one of his most famous books. <laughs> so that would also be like part of the reputation that I'd be talking yeah, about. Like he, he definitely has multiple. This is his fifth novel, but of all of them, this is one that I hear talked about. <laughs> Jamie's spinning up. Jamie's trying to... Look, guys, there was no malicious intent <laughs> on this explanation. Uh, but but that's the thing, is with five, five novels, I'd say that there are, like, two that I specifically hear about more often than others. Um, and so that's a little bit of, of the, uh, you know, the reputation that comes with a novel. And so with that, we'll start getting into the summary a little bit so we can dive deeper into this thing, because... Uh, I'd say, you know, whether or not you call it dense, there's definitely some stylistic things at play here that affects the um, flow of the novel quite a bit. And and it's not as conventional um, as some of the other novels that we read during the first season. So to start off here, um, Addie Bundren, she's the matriarch of the story, and um, we find out that she's going to die. So she's still alive at the beginning of the novel. Uh, not for very long, but she is still alive at the beginning. So supposedly she is the I in the As I Lay Dying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Suppo- yeah. Uh, we, we, could- we still have a whole half book <laughs> yeah, left, we, guys. We will see. This could be uh, a twist ending here. Um, but we do hear uh, kind of morbidly that, you know, she can hear and see her eldest son, Cash, making her coffin. And that she wants to see it. Yeah. Yeah. This is a thing that is part of her request. And this is something from the very beginning that we're getting. And so it's not really starting off this book with a light, airy feel. This is something that definitely is carrying some weight. Um, And it's very clear early on that this is going to be centered around um, the Bundren family. Because we start getting introduced to all of them through various chapters where each of the family members gets, you know, it it just changes perspective, not always equally, but we hear from uh, the entire family and their experiences with this time frame at the end of Addie's life 
Um, and through that, we start to get different perspectives on everybody and get to know each of them a little bit better, uh, whether or not that's how people outside of the family see uh, each of these individuals. We're at least getting, um, you know, the family's deep perspective on each other. Um, and also we start getting a few other characters as well. We get uh, the town doctor gets a chapter and he's obviously involved with the end of Addie's life. Um, but I don't think he actually gets there in time for the end of her life to even do anything. Um, and that's Peabody. And we also get introduced to the tolls, uh, which one of them is the second chapter. So it's kind of throwing you for a loop a little bit in that the rest of the book starts to get more into the other family member's perspective. But <laughs> Cora Toll, um, who knows Addie, is the second and I think fourth chapter as well. And so they are added in as well. And as the novel progresses, we find out that Addie wants to be buried in Jefferson, Mississippi. And so the coffin is getting built to transport her to Jefferson, Mississippi. And soon after she dies, a rainstorm comes in. It's fairly strong. It starts to... Uh, raise the water level of the rivers. It starts to affect the bridges <laughs> that they'll have to cross over. And so a lot of the back part of this first half is their journey um, and finding out about some of these things that may be a problem. We do run into one of the uh, bridges that gets flooded later on in this first half, which has them needing to find lodging elsewhere and then finally the last thing that we read is a flashback uh, with the family so that's including Addie as well while she was still alive where we kind of get some backstory on Jewel who is one of the sons um, and how he acquired a horse which was a point of contention amongst the family uh which was honestly pretty revealing for their relationships and a little bit of their standing um, socioeconomically because it was a big deal that Jewel wasn't pulling his weight for the family. Uh, other people had to cover his work just so he could get a horse for himself. And so that's kind of where we left off uh, for the very last chapter. Again, as we usually mention on these, we go about halfway through the book. And so if you're, reading through about halfway for us is that flashback and that's where we end off uh anything else to add on that that uh for the summary of it i think it's fairly straightforward as far as the actual plot maybe not the intricacies of it but it really is just carrying addy to jefferson mississippi after she dies yeah yeah that's cool about right so yeah, let's let's go ahead and get into a couple of things. Uh, one of the things I want to visit is this claim that from your coworkers, Jamie, that one of the first things that they had talked about is that this novel is dense. And the thing is, is the novel is fairly short. Uh, we each have different uh, editions here, but like mine's about one eighty. I think your guys' is. I'm at one thirty ish. Or sorry, oh. my my whole book is one eighty. Oh. Yeah. Mine's like 250. Yeah. I don't know, 260. So it's fairly short, um, but that that was a thing that they had said is that, you know, one of the predominant opinions was that it was dense. And so I kind of want to get your guys' take on that is, do you think it's dense? Uh, why or why not? Um, and, yeah, just kind of explore that a little bit and, and the reasons as to why it is or why it maybe isn't in your opinion. Um, I had a thought the last couple of days because I read this, the first section, um, surprise, surprise, pretty quickly, um, because I put things off until the last minute. But I also genuinely think that I, I couldn't have read this, like, spread out over many weeks. I think that realistically, if I were a an average person who sat down with a book and read like two chapters or three chapters of it and then was going to decide if I was going to keep reading it or not 
I wouldn't have. <laughs> because after like three chapters, I didn't know who anybody was. I didn't understand what was happening. I knew that there was somebody dying and her name was Addie. And that was about it. Like I va- got some vague things and I had to reread a little bit. I think that reading it so quickly, um, and it's a short book, so it's not hard to read quickly, but reading it so quickly helped me figure out who things were because it backtracks so much. Like, it doesn't tell you who certain people are until you've seen them or heard them talk like five times, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is hard if you are just like casually reading this novel. Um, yeah, it doesn't just lay out that, like, even all these characters are part of the Bundren family, even. Yeah, and, like, I I was halfway through the section that we were reading, and I said something to Brian about Dewey Dell being a son, and he was like, she's a girl. And I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, I realized, that sh- I realized that she was related to them, finally, which was, like, a moment for me, but I thought they were all boys because no one had told me otherwise. And you never get it from her perspective, and her introduction is just every, like most of the characters continuing to talk about her fanning Addie as she's dying. Yeah. And there's no other description apart from that, really. Yeah. So I I do think I think that in that sense it is a dense book, like in that you you really have to sit with it for a while to be able to understand what is going on and who the characters are. Not even really what's going on. The the story, the plot is pretty simple. Um, And I do think that you get a sense of that relatively quickly. But I I think the characters and the way it's laid out is dense and complicated. Um, And so many of the the narratives of each chapter, like, backtrack on each other. Like, you'll get this section from Darl that will go five minutes into the next section from whoever toll like they 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 repeat things but in different ways Mm -hmm. and i think that can be confusing especially in the back half there there starts to be a lot of crossover for things that are happening in that moment especially when the chapters get short some of my chapters were only a page long Mm -hmm. and the shortest one was a sentence yeah even though it wasn't as related to the events but they were crossing over quite a bit and because they don't know that each of them are thinking those things they do repeat it and then it starts to get into all these different things because it's different perspectives that can make it a little confusing too yeah so that's my opinion i think that it for a casual reader i think that it is it it is confusing and dense yeah but yeah this doesn't really feel like a casual book for me (laughs) like i did start it um like I, i mean it was even just like a week and a half ago i started it and like, I regretted taking a few days even, or, like, days in between or even just, like, 20 pages a day. I, like, almost, I, I I read, like, 60 pages yesterday, and that, actually, that's, like, the part of the book that I understood the most was mm-hmm. because I sat down and read it all at once, which, again, it's not hard. Um, it, it, I mean, it's a pretty fast read in that way. I don't know if I would call it dense as much I would ju- as I would just call it con- convoluted, like, it feels convoluted to me because of all the crossovers of like the timeline. I don't know. Maybe that means it's dense, but like I, I mean, when I think of dense, I think of like Tolstoy or like Mason and Dixon or something (laughs) like that's what I think of when I think of dense. I don't, this doesn't feel, this feels very quick to me. Dense implies to me like that it takes pages and pages and it takes forever. And, um, you know, there's blocks of text, you know, on, all the pages this is just like you know it's very seamless with what's happening now what's happening like what happened in the past like um between dialogue and characters it's very fluid in that way so like dense implies a little bit more stuck to me um but regardless like I do think that like I agree if I had just picked this up casually and been like I want to see what this Faulkner stuff is about (laughs) like I don't know that I would have made it past the first few chapters because I I didn't I barely knew what was going on after the first few chapters and the only reason I actually even knew um that Cora wasn't part of the um wasn't part of the family was because I uh read the synopsis on the back of the book and it led me to expect the perspectives of people who weren't in the family and I was like I mean that those context clues were important to me um to my like understanding of what was happening 
Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, it's in terms of the, uh, the, like the care, like I think the, the volume of characters also maybe would like contribute to making it feel a little bit dense because you meet a lot of people and you don't really know who any of them are. You barely know if they're part of the family or not. Um, the only person you really know anything about for sure is that it's Addie and that she's dying. Mm-hmm. And and that is an early thing. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, like um, first chapter. Yeah, first chapter it's talked about, but even from the perspective of like, you know, getting introduced to that but not even knowing that the main action of the story is going to be the transport of Addie, like that isn't even revealed until a significant period of time afterward. I kind of knew that going in. Yeah, like, and I, I didn't because I hadn't read a lot of, like, synopsis about it. So just yeah. from a pure, like, where it happens in the story, it mm-hmm. does happen a bit later. Instead of them announcing that off the bat, as like, she's going to die and this. It's just like, she's going to die. Here's all these other things that they're doing. And it's like, okay, it was her last wishes to be buried in Jefferson. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go. I actually went into the book not realizing that she was ever like oh. living in the book mm-hmm. because yeah. I had I I didn't look up a synopsis or anything but I had just from people who had have read it who I know like teachers in at school um the way that they described it was like oh it's like funeral processes for mm-hmm. someone in this family in the south and so I thought that it was from everyone's perspective except for the woman who had died actually i didn't even know it was a woman i (laughs) i didn't know who addie was that it was like the mom when i was going into this um and her death also is like it in the book it is it feels pretty inconsequential like it just i mean it's not like a big deal i mean it's a big deal in in the story but like I feel it's not treated any differently. I don't feel yeah than it, anything else because it yeah. also feels that it just like, like happens. She's she's alive and then she's not, and like it it just is kind. Of, it's almost like it's almost like she was dead from the start. Yeah. yeah, it feels like a lot of it was because they knew that she was dying. That like a lot of those initial like shocked reactions happened before the book even began because a lot of it, even though there's still presumably going to be more grieving to be done, and even like. In the wagon when uh, I don't know how you guys pronounce pronounce it ants a n s e yeah I was pronouncing it ants yeah, yeah I don't know if that's so right. so him just like having uh you, you know getting mad that his sons are laughing near mm-hmm. um their mother's body like things like that but a lot of the actual like grappling with her passing feels like it had happened earlier than the book the than the timeline of the book yeah mm-hmm. so far. And so I think that that has been an interesting thing to kind of like jump in in the middle of that process, because how else would they know to be making the coffin? How else would she have made her last wishes, especially in the 1930s? Um, I feel like that maybe wasn't always as applicable because, you know, because of the progression of modern medicine. Maybe a lot of people didn't even have that opportunity to do that, to like make it known or even know like things could happen very quickly. And so Mm -hmm. that's just kind of an interesting perspective from there. Um, so one of the things I wanted to get into as well is, uh, we've talked about this a little bit that throughout the book, we're getting chapters that are specifically labeled with a character's name. So we know there's, there's no, you know, interpretation on what's going on in each chapter. We know whose perspective, uh, is predominant throughout that. Um, but what is interesting to me is that there is a heavy, um, emphasis on certain characters and so i went through and looked at all of the chapters from the first half that we read and i have a few numbers here for how many chapters uh, each person gets so i'm just going to run through the list really quickly just to kind of show the differences here and then kind of get your guys's perspective on how you think that shaped the novel so far uh, and so first we have daryl who is the um, he is the second eldest, so it's Cash and then Darl. So Darl has eleven chapters. Cora, who is not part of the family, has two. Jewel, who is one of the sons, only has one chapter, which was surprising to me because he gets talked about so much, and there's so much significant emphasis yeah. on a lot of his past. Uh, <laughs> Dewey Dell gets three. Toll, who is Cora's husband, gets four. Ants gets three, 
Peabody, who's the doctor, just gets one. Vardaman gets four above both Dewey Dell and Jewel. Vardaman is the youngest son. Vardaman is the youngest. And then Cash, who is the oldest, only gets two. That was also a little surprising to me. And then Samson, who is somebody that they meet during their travels, gets one chapter oh, yeah, as well. I didn't even know anything about Samson. So... Um, I didn't even realize there was I, a Samson. I didn't either. <laughs> I didn't even remember that there was somebody named Samson. Well, they he came in and he was noticing them coming through and he's talking to somebody else in town. This is like right before they are uh, about to get to the bridge and they kind oh. of are helping set the yeah, stage for that of being like, hey, all that. the rivers are rising. They also talked about the tendencies of the family to not, uh, if I recall correctly, not take favors as much. Yeah. It was kind of to help characterize the family a little bit more because it would be a little bit more hard to do that uh, with just the family's perspective themselves. So I think it was kind of uh, a way to take that out um, without revisiting a lot of the other characters that had come through. What was the family or who were the people who put them up for that evening? Uh, I can't. They they didn't have chapters. No, they didn't. That's right. uh, I don't remember the... And so, uh, with all of that, as you could see, Darl has a very... Um, oh, it was the Tolls, I guess, that they stayed with. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so, so Darl has a significant amount of chapters. Um, do you all have any inclination as to why that would be? Um, do you think that that's affecting how this story is getting told um, have you noticed anything about Darl's chapters since they were so significant? Um, just kind of any of your thoughts about this style, because uh, it's obviously a unique style to have it, you know, shift perspectives this much and have it have. There's no omniscient narrator. It's always coming from somebody's perspective. So uh, knowing some of those numbers and if you want me to recall them. Uh, let me know, but just kind of wanted to get thoughts about that structure and how you think it's affecting the way the story is getting told. Um, I don't know if this is answering. You just said a lot of different yeah. questions. Okay. Um, I have a lot of feelings about Darl <laughs> because at the beginning of the book, I felt excited whenever I saw that it was a Darl chapter coming up because I felt like his made the most sense to me. Yeah. And now, suddenly, I feel like they don't anymore. <laughs> like, I I took a picture of one page in Darl's, one of Darl's sections that's, like, kind of in the middle, um, towards the end, middle, that I suddenly was like, wait, you were the person that I trusted and that was straightforward and that I know what you're saying. And then suddenly he went into this moment of, like, I don't know what I am. I don't know if I am or not. Jewel knows he is because he does not know that yeah. he does know not know whether he is or not. This he cannot empty himself for sleep because he is not what he is and he is what he is not. And it goes just so... And since sleep is is not and rain and was are was, it is not. What is he saying? <laughs> this is just Faulkner I do, writing this book. At 4 a.m. in the morning. And, <laughs> I don't and say, not editing send it off. anything. Like, I really, I feel like... It's fine the way it is. I think so much of this book, you're supposed to, like, figure out the people to trust. Because they do give you different perspectives on events of, like, what's happening. And Darl was the person that I trusted. But then also, every other chapter, people keep talking about how, like, Darl's the weird one. Mm -hmm. And that's the one that people always look at and whisper about. And then suddenly Darl's chapters get into that kind of nonsense where I'm like, oh, he is the weird one. Do I trust him? Yeah. Is he fine? And he has the most chapters now, too. And he has the most too. chapters. And that's the thing is it frames a lot of your understanding of the story anyway. So even finding that out later, you're thinking back of like, how much of this story has actually been told by Darl thus far? Yeah. And, like, if he's the weird one, how is that skewing the novel? I find that very interesting. And that, why is he the weird Like, I want to yeah. understand, mm-hmm. because they keep calling him queer, which in the 30s would just be, like, you're odd. And at the beginning, I didn't understand why, because he seemed the most straightforward out of anyone. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think, I still don't think that we really know why he's weird, other than maybe he's kind of quiet around other people. Yeah, I don't know that I have any issues significantly with Darl specifically, other than like getting informed by other people. But that's also the thing is that 
you know, as much as we're getting informed by Darl of what's going on, we're also getting informed by other people about what Darl is. And yeah. so how much can you trust that? Uh, especially in seeing that some of these other characters do seem to have um, flaws that seem more readily apparent Uh, off the top of my head, like with Jewel, for instance. I feel like there's been multiple people that have kind of put Jewel's character into question. Mm -hmm. Um, Like he's super selfish. Yeah, and, and they are kind of presenting him in such a way that like maybe he has more of an attitude than he really does. Um, which I'm not saying that that is true or not from all I can tell, you know, for getting multiple people saying these things about Jewel, presumably they are true, but you know, that's the thing too, is that, you know, we are getting a lot of that that's coming to the forefront about like, Oh, Jewel isn't telling people things, especially in this family where Addie, as we learn, has such an issue with people lying, for instance, and Jewel is lying pretty significantly for a long time to get the horse. Uh, Like, those are all readily apparent flaws in his character, uh, according to the family. But with Darl, I don't feel like I've really seen anything significant other than people just kind of talking the way that they have. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's surprising to me just to hear that Jewel only had one chapter because I feel like Jewel was actually like one of the most popular subjects of yeah. the whole first half. Yeah. I like, was very surprised. All about of that. the other characters talk His a lot. His chapter is early either, like, too. Yeah, it's early. It's like the fourth or fifth chapter or something. Like the, he has the same amount of chapters as Peabody, the Doctor. Yeah. Like they both have one. That's insane. But that's, that's just so. Yeah, that's crazy. Like he, they do so much talking about him, uh, and like even talking to him like in the procession like one of them is like calling up to him or something like they come back to that several times like um yeah I don't know that's that's interesting to like hear it all laid out like that and honestly I mean I didn't have a good sense of like even like a dominant uh a dominant character in the sense of you know Daryl having more chapters like on the higher side you know of, of the number of chapters like he didn't necessarily feel the most dominant to me. That's kind of how I, uh, I mean, they all they all kind of just felt a little bit chaotic. Like yeah. it all kind of just felt like we're just switching back and forth randomly between all of these people. And 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 I didn't feel particularly like uh, like I could rely on any of them. Um, but I mean, yeah, I don't know. I I felt like by the end, I like still knew as much about Peabody as I did about like Darl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, I think that, you know, I'll, I'll definitely be um, keeping track of that for the back half, but uh, just to kind of play off what you were saying, are there any main characters or does everybody kind of feel like it's an even playing field despite all of this stuff? Do you think there's anybody that is like the moral center? Like we've talked about some that maybe have some, uh, moral deficiencies is there somebody that we think is like centering this novel in some way or is it just kind of uh, uh, a mix of all of them just curious on what you guys thought about that I have felt like Jewel and Darl are the most important characters I felt that about Jewel um, yeah that, that, that I felt that too and I don't know if like maybe he is the antagonist we don't know but like Jewel definitely feels central to the telling of the especially story. where we just ended yeah like yeah. that was actually the most coherent specific chapter about that oh yeah that I, in my opinion, like, I mean, it was just very straightforward about him, like, buying the horse without telling anybody. And it, it felt a little more like this is a thing that happened in the past that we can all agree on. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how it felt to me. And it yeah. made Jewel feel like one of the more important characters. Yeah. Especially considering before that flashback chapter anyway. Uh, one thing that was kind of a standout thing, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but they were talking about the crossing of that river right before this flashback and Jewel was ready to cross with his horse uh-huh. but Toll when who again is, mule. is not a part of the family and you know maybe doesn't have as much of a um, obligation to help in a significant way but for some reason he's also there with them you know so like presumably there's some connection there but Jewel was readily willing to do that despite the fact that from other people, we'd seen that it was a shady thing 
of how he got the horse, regardless of the way he thought it. He thought it was a pure thing of like, I earned this myself. This isn't coming from the family's money. Uh, I will feed it myself. Like all of that is a, are positive things. And then also in that moment, he is willing to cross with the horse and sacrifice it for uh, the family. And so that also makes it more interesting of like Jewel being a central character. And again, like how much are we getting influenced by other people talking about Jewel than how Jewel actually feels? Because that seems significant mm-hmm. that he's like, I will cross with this horse. But I think this. from my perspective, I see that more as like, I think that Jewel is very devoted to Addie. Like we've seen, we've seen a lot about their relationship. Like Jewel was like mama's little boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and she treated him in a very like doting way compared to every other child. Wasn't and she a, picked up some of it. Oh, sorry. No, there was just, there was a point like, wasn't he the one who like, you know, she was like telling that he should, he, she was saying he should come inside and not work because he was tired. Is that who, is that who? Yeah. Yeah. There was a point where. Yeah. yeah because he was sleepy because he was, wh- he was working all yeah. night. And yeah. she was also covering for him yes. in multiple instances too, to not let uh, ants know. Every, yeah. Everybody was just hiding jewel stuff from ants, yeah. which I think, uh, illuminates a little bit about the other family members as well because Cash and Darl knew what was going on and they were not doing it in an accusatory way. They just wanted to know what was going on yeah. and then proceeded to help as well. They wanted to understand why. They thought he might have like a girl, but right. then yeah. But I it talked really early on. Like one of the first chapters it talked about how Jewel was always like Addie's boy. And she really, like, cared for him a lot and doted on him more than anybody else. And so I think, like, part of Jewel doing that, like, offering to go across the river, I don't think it was necessarily, like... He doesn't really seem to care that much about his other family members. I feel like it has to do with, like, this was Addie's wish and I'm going to get it there. Um, But that might be me reading into it. Yeah, I, I was leaning a little bit more toward that. I mean, just, like... <clears throat> that's how I read it like he was just like I I'll do whatever it takes because it was her like last wish yeah and so yeah um, and ants a little bit is the same way I think with like it's at I promised her mm-hmm. um, but even like ants is also selfish and he keeps talking about like he doesn't sweat because it makes him sick but really that's just a cover for him not working ever right yeah <laughs> Yeah, also, um, I half understood this from Sparknotes, but also, uh, <laughs> but also I then started recognizing it. He, he like keeps celebrating the fact that now he can get new teeth now that she's dead. Have you, oh, did you pick Who? up on that? Ants. Oh, shit. Ants, I like, have not noticed. No, I have so not noticed I, I, I like kept picking up on there were a few times where he talked, where he thinks to himself, now I could get, now I can get those new teeth. And I didn't Jeez. pick up on that until I like was reading a synopsis of the fir- like of the first or second section, and um, and Sparknotes like put it together for me. And then I and then and then he says it a few more times. It's like super innocuous. It's like one sentence where he just like mentions teeth. And I think we're supposed to. I think we were supposed to know at some point that he doesn't have like he only he he only has a few teeth. Yeah, I did. Okay, I do remember that being mentioned actually because he says something it's about mentioned like, very casually. He he can't eat like solid foods. Yeah, because he doesn't have teeth. And I, I don't. That. I don't know if the implication is supposed to be now that she's dead, I can get new teeth. But it, I mean. Be- like there. because of like yeah. insurance money is that a thing in the 30s i think it's just because there's like a f- one or fewer teeth like available i don't know i don't think he's taking <laughs> you never know I think already it's already in the coffin I yeah i know but hold on i think it has to do with i'll look it up um with um just like being like able to medical afford, costs just being able to afford them yeah um hmm one less person to feed so you can get I, some new teeth that, that's what i was that's what i was right. assuming yeah. it was i just i didn't pick up on that until i read uh, like that i read that when i was like looking up a synopsis and i was like oh shit like is that what that is and uh, i <laughs> yeah i, mean, I, had I guess that's one that. interpretation yeah anyway interesting um so i guess for this last thing i'll just like tee up a couple of ideas for um or ideas and questions about things moving forward and we can kind of get into final thoughts about um, predictions or, you know, if you're liking the book so far and 
and different things like that. But w- one of the interesting things um, that was highlighted multiple times during this journey is that Addie's body was not embalmed and they're going to be it's getting gross. They're going to be in a wagon with her with significant in southern Mississippi <laughs> heat, presumably heat. heat. Um, there's going to be other and obstacles, uh, other it's obstacles, including the rivers um, getting higher, the bridges being unavailable. Um, do you think that that's going to I mean, how do you think that'll play into the rest of the novel? And uh, what do you kind of think is going to happen? Because um, one of the interesting things is that I've never read any um, novels in this genre, but this is considered on Southern Gothic. Yeah, it's considered mm-hmm. Southern Gothic on multiple sites that have some analysis of the book, which that implies some sense of, you know, in the Gothic style that there's some foreboding. Um, themes going on or um you know maybe you jamie you may be able to speak um more adequately on it but it it kind of adds some sense of um you know this suspense of what's going on with addy and and different things that could play into how the back half of the novel goes with her decomposing and them still having to make this trip and there obviously being some um, tensions rising even at the spot that we were left off at how do you think that'll play into the novel and uh, and kind of play into that Southern Gothic feel? And how, how have you felt about the novel so far uh, with the first half? Are you excited about the back half? Things like that. So you always do this to me. You General list, final like, thoughts. You list like fifteen questions. Unless you want to go. Like, oh, no. Yeah, because it's, it's. I mean, I can. Go. I mean, it's about time for for final thoughts anyway. So um, okay. I wanted to Danny quickly go. read um, the the Spark Notes summary of Ants. The head of the Benjamin family. Ants is a poor farmer afflicted with a hunchback, which I didn't know. Oh, no, I, I had no either. idea. Absolutely had no idea. Um, <laughs> very important details, by the way, listeners, are <laughs> like Addie's death. Like, everything is just the same tone. It's very easy to, like, skip over things, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was very. it's very easy to miss things if you're not paying that close attention because everything is spoken about in the same tone. Uh Ants is a poor farmer afflicted with a hunchback whose instincts are overwhelmingly selfish. His poor child-rearing skills seem to be largely responsible for his children's various predicaments. Alternately hated and disrespected by his children, Ants nonetheless succeeds in achieving, achieving, (laughs) achieving his two greatest goals in one fell swoop, burying his dead wife in her hometown of Jefferson and acquiring a new set of false teeth. Which is well, just, spoiler. Yeah, yeah spoiler. I mean, but I mean, apparently it, it happens. <laughs> but also, like he, I mean, he. I, that's just like I don't know. The, that that summary even was just like, um, like painted him in an interesting light for me because it it feels like it it paints him as a little more selfish than I was reading him as. Um, I feel like I've read him as very selfish. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I was that if I was feeling that extreme about him. Um, I don't know. I foresee some kind of like, you know, like a decomposing body in a wagon in the heat of Mississippi, like does not sound great. And I foresee some kind of like family feud, like around their mother's dead body. Like, I mean, I, it doesn't really say how often they're like, they spend a lot of, if they spend a lot of time together, like, and it just, I mean, it's just like, they're all together as a family, like for the first time probably in uh, I mean you know where they all have to like talk to each other and interact and like be cordial and I just feel like it's not going anywhere super positive yeah yeah I'd say uh as far as my predictions on the back half I've liked the style so far I I kind of like um needing to parse through everybody's perspectives on it um just because it just adds a sense of mystery to people's motivations and it is interesting to not like assume what anybody is thinking about each other through just one sentence some of them are very much devoted of like one family member really talking deep about another family member um i think in a story that is so um laser focused on one particular plot point of them taking the body to jefferson um and apparently succeeding. <laughs> uh, I mean, we knew that was going to happen. Um, yeah, that didn't. It's more the teeth I was upset about. No. How dare I you? Mean, I mean, I don't know that they'd make it because of I, all well, the bridges I, and I, stuff. I didn't read that as like he he like achieved 
I don't know. Yeah. I wasn't reading that well, as a spoiler. Well, regardless, I think with the the horse flashback being such a thing, because like I said, with the laser focus, anytime like a plot point gets um, that much focus, especially because that chapter was one of the longer chapters of the entire novel so far, and some in a novel where we've had chapters that are like one page long or a couple pages long. This flashback was multiple pages long, and it comes after, again, another focus on this horse for crossing the river. And we'd already seen that uh, Ants had some uh, problems with the horse in the first place. And so out of any of the specifics, it seems to me that the most probable point of conflict is going to be between Ants and Jewel. Um, That's just my prediction, just because... It had already teed that up a little bit where where everybody else in the family was, even if they maybe didn't agree with how he was going about it or anything else, like the family really covered for Jewel to get this thing, to get this horse, and and it was covering it up to Ants specifically, and he still uh, wasn't that pleased about it upon finding out that Jewel got it. And so I think that that'll be an interesting dynamic where Jewel is already starting to show um, some signs of frustration in this process anyway. They've talked about him in the wagon and and getting frustrated with the decisions anyway uh, and having ants make decisions for everybody. It was kind of a weird moment of him when they were getting lodging of like not really accepting anything that would give them more comfort on this journey when they were all in there they were offered i think multiple times um different comforts including better shelter including food and ants just kind of decided for everybody that that, they were fine that they were just gonna do it they were just gonna sit outside that felt very like prideful i mean it was just like a very like like i've you know, worked and pulled myself up by yeah. my bootstraps, and and I, and think, I don't need any help. And I think that that's going to cause tensions to rise because, again, they're also talking about this dead body decomposing, and if they are not going to be accepting, if Ants is going to impose that they're not going to accept um, any comforts from anybody along the way, with presumably more difficulties to get to Jefferson coming up, then they're going to be not in a good shelter this body is going to be decomposing and smelling terribly and i feel like the person that is going to feel the most frustrated about it is going to be jewel that that's just the way that it's been kind of playing out but there's a whole other half of the novel that we don't know like what's going to come out like again darl is a huge um factor in this novel with him having as many chapters as he has had And so I don't know if that means that he's going to have some significant conflict or resolution with the rest of the family. But the most probable to me seems like it's going to be something going on uh, with Jewel and Ants. And I think that that'll be very interesting to see um, because, again, all all we know about Jewel is kind of from other people's perspectives. I'll be curious to see if he gets more chapters in the back half to kind of give his um, opinions on things, especially in relation to uh, Ants himself, because uh, I'm sure he has plenty to say in the meantime if he felt so much of a a need to hide what he was doing at night from his own father. I think it'll be interesting to see why that was. I don't know if we'll get that, but I think that that would be like a perspective that I would want to see and maybe not from (laughs) Darl. (laughs) <laughs> he is was and I was and okay. oh, sit down we don't want to hear it um yeah I don't know I'm enjoying it so far I think that the the story itself is a little slow <laughs> for me I like the things that are actually happening realistically day to day in the story are not that exciting to me I do like the character development and I think it's interesting and I have grasped onto some like certain sections. Um, like I think that I really like Cash. Um yeah. Cash is funny to me. I don't I loved his chapter that was like a list of yeah. I made it on the bevel. Oh yeah, it was and just <laughs> That was actually his first chapter too, which I found funny. When I was looking through, I was like, This is Cash's first chapter and how he gets introduced, his perspective is just a list. It's just, and it's such a weird list. Eight, 
animal magnetism. Nine, the animal magnetism of a dead body makes the stress come slanting, so the seams and joints of a coffin are made on the bevel. Like, what are you saying? <laughs> Is Do you think that's just, like, trying... He was trying to convey, like, the way that Cash thinks? Or, like, was was this Cash making a list? I To me, it seems like the way that Cash thinks. Like, I feel like Cash is very methodical mm-hmm. like that's also like he's very focused I it mean, seems he's very sassy so to me focused. it seemed like it was a sassy thing because he was already frustrated with the way people were like carrying the body or like maybe rushing the process he was just kind of like <laughs> it it doesn't work just because he kept they kept talking about the different ways of like the weight distribution and cash kept being because it's shown all he was talked about from the beginning was like He's an expert craftsman. Yeah. yeah. And then nobody's listening to him. And, he, and then he just has this list of like, this is why it won't work. This, this. But that's why like, it like. I think I, it's funny. I think I, I, I found that to be you. sassy. And I thought funny, it was yeah. funny. But I also do think it's the way that he thinks. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's him making a oh, list definitely. of his head of like, these are all the reasons why you're wrong. And mm-hmm. I know that you're wrong. But like, this is like, that's all he does. I feel like that's all he thinks about is just like woodworking and doing a good job. And mm-hmm. he doesn't really interact with like the family drama. Um, Cash is the oldest, right? Yeah, he's yeah. the eldest. Yeah, son. he seems pretty uninterested. Yeah, in anything not... except for making the coffin good. Yeah, like making it. Yeah, which I think is interesting. I like him. I think he's interesting. I also really like Vardaman, the youngest, um, and his chapters are always so weird. I don't understand Vardaman. <laughs> I don't either. I'm also honest. very curious. I get about it. He's a young child. What kind he's of just name such a Vardaman goob. is? He I is love. Kind of a- He's I love kind of Vardaman's <laughs> My Mother is a Fish. I love it so much. I don't know why it's happening, but I love it. Um, oh, yeah. I, I it's need... like the way that he can conceptualize his mom, I, I think. Know, because he's like, caught a fish recently, right? Or somebody caught a fish. Yeah, and, and like, they were having it, it for was dinner. Dead, yeah. is that... I think that it was a dead fish, and this is the way that but he can also, is conceptualizing. But also, Jules' mother is a horse, according to Vardaman. So I don't know what that means. Maybe this is just the way he's relating. <laughs> my jewel oh, through, has a through horse. Animal relationships. And I mean, I don't know. Uh, uh, jewel and the horse quote, real quick. I had this one quote that I just thought was funny. It just like kind of shows Jewel's personality and him talking about the horse. It was page eight for me, but he just gets pissed because the horse tries to kick him. And, oh yeah, he's like then, fighting with so, the horse. So then he like slaps the horse a little bit and like kicks it and gets on its back and then he gets all sassy with it and then gets the hay and crams it into the rack and he says, get the goddamn stuff out of sight while you got a chance, you puzzle gutted bastard, you sweet son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, Jewel, yeah, there's a scene. Jewel talking to his horse like that. I was like, that's so amazing. There's like a little spite P- scene. Puzzle gutted bastard, it's... you sweet son of a bitch. <laughs> it's just Jewel like... The the di- the or the the series of events is just like the horse kicked him in the stomach. Jewel slapped him in the face. <laughs> it's just, he's like fighting with the horse in the barn, and it's I don't know. That was I know I remember reading that and thinking it was funny. I like read it through, and then I was like. Wait, I got to the end and I was like, wait a minute. Is is this a horse? <laughs> I had to like go back and make sure that I was reading it correctly. I was like, did somebody else come into the barn? <laughs> like, it is was, he fighting a person? <laughs> it was just like simultaneously so fiery and pissed, but also sweet. <laughs> sweet. You sweet son, son of, of a bitch. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, all right. I can appreciate uh, that. Um, finish my final thoughts. Uh, I feel like I've read a decent amount of like, southern gothic type literature or I don't know if I actually have read that much but I I've read a lot of Flannery O'Connor and she's a staple I've read one Faulkner short story before um A Rose for Emily which is great um and I feel like in the stories that I've read there is a lot of character development but there's also like a lot more going on yeah and so I feel like I've been a little disappointed by that of like it's just okay this woman died in kind of an anticlimactic way like she's been sick for a long time and she just passed away and whatever and now we're trying to get over a river and that's fine yeah um I feel like there to me it seems like there's gonna be more in the back end. yeah I do think that there will be more I'll be interested to see what happens but um it is interesting to bring it up as like a southern gothic because I, I know that it falls under that style, and I don't actually know how to define that style for myself. Even though I feel like I've read a lot of it, yeah. and I've always loved it. I'll but bring I, a, de- a definition next time to start the discussion, just to like 
see how it's actually defined yeah, like academically this i suppose also but, feels much different to me than all the other like southern quote-unquote southern gothic things that yeah. i feel like i've read and i don't have much experience with them so i don't have any context except for this really There's yeah so many works i'm just like reading his wikipedia right now and he just, there are just so many yeah. and, the, and this and this was five this was number five yeah. for novels yeah so i i'm enjoying it so far like i do it's a quick read um, it's a little confusing, but I do I like the structure a lot. The the short chapters, I always like short chapters. Mm-hmm. Um and I do like getting other people's perspectives throughout it. And like I said, like the some of the chapters just are funny to me. Like Cash's list and Vardaman's one yeah. sentence. I appreciate the humor in the midst of such a um heavy subject matter. I think that there is still some humor here. Yeah. A little bit. I definitely think so. It's dark humor. Yeah, definitely but it dark is humor. Humorous. Yeah. So I'm enjoying it. I, I'm excited to see what happens. I I don't know that it'll be anything like insane. I do think it's going to be a pretty, still a pretty tame story. Yeah. I think there will be more action, but I it'll don't be know. like in the same tone as yeah. everything. Like I don't. I, it'll know be if more I'm... like familial relations yeah. action rather than like someone gets shot which i feel like most southern gothic things that i've read it is like someone is murdered yeah. like there's always there, like there's still time a lot of stuff somebody's happening. already died so yeah the dying already happened we we're done Dakota. just but. happened way early <laughs> those are my thoughts cool well with that that is the end of the first episode of season two dude season two baby season two dude <laughs> Uh, that's super exciting. We'll be back um, soon with part two of As I Lay Dying. And just as a reiteration for the next two books as well, we'll just go around. Uh, Sing Unburied Sing by Jasmine Ward. And Rabbit Run by John Updike. So if you want to do some homework ahead of time, that's what we're working with. And we will be back with that uh, with the second half. And we're excited to uh, get this rolling seven more books y'all strap in you still strapped you still strapped you still strapped never been more strapped (laughs) i'm so strapped we will oh are we still scatting season two i don't know why you're looking at me that's danny's thing (laughs) we still scatting season two i mean i'll scat us out (laughs) hit it a squeeba doobie man very uh very upbeat for this novel (laughs) Starting with squeeze. (laughs) We will catch you next time.